Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. And welcome to episode 0000230 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be your host through to 8 o'clock this evening. Broadcasting to you from Triple R World Headquarters at the end of the 96 line, which is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, to my contemporaries from that nation and to all mob that are listening at the moment, whether it be here in Nam slash Melbourne or whether it be across the country via the National Indigenous Radio Service. Thank you for tuning in. It's good to have your company. Thank you to Vaughny for an excellent episode of Double Bounce. I was listening this afternoon. It's good to see him in the flesh. Good to have the Tuesday Arvo Triple R lineup back together again. With our sister BB, Vaughny and myself. Uh, we're gradually getting back to regular programming on, on the grid, but there has been some sensational summer programming, as I'm sure you'll agree for those of you who have been tuning into the hours over the course of the summer. I would personally like to thank uh, Leah, who filled in on the 16th and the 23rd, uh, Tenille and Tobias for their pop-up show, uh, 1-800-CLIMATE-EMERGENCY. Very informative, very entertaining. I uh, hope that they find their way into the... The grid at some point in the future, and thank you to Leah again for uh, filling in um, the last couple of weeks. This is the first episode of uh, a program called The Mission, and it's good to be back. What's been happening since I've been away, uh, since late December? Well, there's been a little bit, hasn't there? There's always a little bit going on. I guess the main thing from our perspective here in uh, this place called Victoria uh, has been the backflip by uh, John Pesciuto and uh, the Nationals uh, regarding their commitment to the treaty progress uh, process here in, in Victoria. Uh, we also had, of course, the uh, flim-flammery around uh, Australia Day, the boring old culture wars that pop up every January. They're just getting to a point now where it's just more and more ridiculous. I think a lot of the culture warriors on the right saw the referendum as a uh, one-box-ticks-all um, exercise in terms of addressing their pet peeves, whether it be uh, Australia Day slash Invasion Day, whether it be uh, uh, gender, trans issues, all issues relating to uh, First Nations people. I think they saw the referendum as somehow a, I guess, a green light to change Australia back to the way that they envisage it to be, which I'm assuming is billy carts in the street and meat and three veg for uh, dinner every evening. But I think what uh, the reaction to Australia Day uh, slash Invasion Day um, proved was that uh, the majority of Australians are moving down the line when it comes to that particular issue, when it comes to uh, corporate Australia, civil Australia, various tiers of government, uh, commercial Australia and individuals and community groups, sporting organisations are all... Moving away from Australia Day. Now, the main thing, of course, is that uh, 
the, the, the kerfuffle around that, the, the, the bickering around that doesn't get us anywhere near to uh, addressing issues that we need to address on a regular basis. Um, on an urgent basis, things like, of course, black deaths and custody, uh, First Nations interaction with the justice system, full stop. Um, all those sorts of issues, poor health attainment, poor educational outcomes, all of those issues, house, a crising houses and housing. You want to talk about a housing crisis, then uh, you should go to uh, some of the remote communities in the north of uh, this big brown land of ours and see some of the living conditions there. You don't even have to go that far. You can go to some of the suburbs and some of our major cities to see our First Nations of people um, living, uh, displaced from their, their homelands and trying to make a, a way in some of the cities and towns of this country. But I guess the big one, um, as I just mentioned, was the, the backflip by John Pesciuto and Peter Walsh, who is the leader of the Nationals, uh, where they have basically walked away from the treaty process. So to that effect, I'll be speaking to someone who knows a lot about treaty in about 10 minutes' time, and that's uh, Jill Gallagher, AAO, um, a Gunditjmara uh, warrior, I would suggest. She has been in and around Aboriginal affairs in all sorts of capacities, for longer than many of us have uh, been alive. She was the first treaty commissioner, the person that was responsible for establishing a treaty process way back in 2017. So what she doesn't know about treaty is um, not worth knowing, really. Uh, So, you know, we're living in a time where politicians' words, as per usual, can't be taken for granted. And, you know, we're in a situation now here in Victoria that if you want... A treaty, if you want a treaty between the first peoples of this country and the state government or local governments, then don't vote for the Liberal Party or the National Party because they don't want that, even though that we're seven years into a process that is still only just beginning, but it's something that has engaged so many First Nations people in, in this state. Um, we had the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria, a democratically and transparently elected group who have been appointed to negotiate treaty on behalf of their people. We have the Uruk Justice Commission, which was established as a truth-telling process to lay down foundations around the things that Aboriginal people encounter when it comes to the systems of this place, justice, health, education, all of those ones, correction, the correction system... Um, to give us a better understanding not only of what confronts Aboriginal people, but also a better understanding of what impacts our history and the truth about our history. Well, it seems now that the the Liberal Coalition, Liberal National Coalition here in Victoria, have thrown their hands up about that and uh, don't want to know about it. So we'll explore that and a whole much more uh, with uh, with Jill when uh, she phones up in about uh, eight minutes' time. But um, look, Enough of that. It's great to be back. It's great to be back uh, speaking to the best audience in the land, and that is the audience that is the Triple R audience. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Okay, now on with our first and only guest of the evening. As I mentioned at the top of the program, there is no longer bipartisan support for treaty in the state of Victoria. 
It follows last year's referendum on the voice to Parliament in which Conservative parties here in New South Wales and Queensland have used the result to waver or completely walk away from treaty processes in their state. Now, the talk with us about that betrayal is Jill Gallagher AA. She is a Gundi Jamara woman from Western Victoria. She is a highly respected Aboriginal leader who has dedicated her life to advocating for the Victorian Aboriginal community. She's spent well over 20 years now advancing Aboriginal health and wellbeing through her work leading the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, which is the leading advocate for health of Aboriginal peoples in Victoria and a peak organisation to its membership. Um, I've got here that it was 32 ACOs you represent, Jill, but um, that number may have changed since then. Anyway, yes. welcome to the show. Daniel, thank you very much for having me on yet again. Yeah, well, you're actually you know, um, a formal friend of the show now, which means that um, uh, I've got to get a T-shirt made up and sent out to you, uh, which will just simply <laughs> state friend of the show. Uh, so. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I'll wear that T-shirt with pride. Wear it with pride, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, let's start at the very beginning of treaty here in Victoria, OK? So what, yeah. what year did you start as the Commissioner of the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission? Um, was it 2018 or 2019? I'll uh, tell you, it was 2017. 2017. Oh, really? Yeah. So wow. that long ago, yeah, exactly. Sheesh. <laughs> so, wow. so my point is, is that the treaty and the treaty process here in Victoria is nothing new. It, it, it's, it's been around for uh, seven odd years now. It's still yeah. very much in its uh, infancy. Um, you're uh, an esteemed Aboriginal leader in this state. Uh, opposition leader John Pesciuto said that um, after consultation, the Liberal Party made the decision to walk away from the treaty process in October of last year. I'm assuming October 15. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. When did you, as a Victorian Aboriginal leader, find out the Coalition's position on this? Uh, when everyone else did, when it was in the media, yeah, uh, so unfortunately. So yeah. the consultation process can't, can't have been uh, that thorough. No, and um, First Peoples Assembly, it's my understanding that it found out at the same time as I did. Yep, uh, I, think, uh, I think it was a Sunday evening. I think we were all sitting at home um, checking our socials and uh, I saw a, a post on Instagram from the First Peoples Assembly to that effect that uh, yeah. Peter Walsh had um, announced on Sky After Dark that uh, the, the National Party was walking away and then that was um, bolstered the next morning by, um, by John... Um, I was going to say Pursuto. Um John Pursuto. Um yeah. Was it a surprise to you? Well, can I say, yes it, well, yes, it was a surprise to me. Uh, because not once did the uh, coalition here in Victoria raise any concerns or any issues uh, with the First People's Assembly. Um, to my knowledge, not once did they raise they had issues or concerns. Well, I think that's correct, yeah. Yes. So it is a surprise to me. And, um, you know, they've given their bipartisan support um, uh, for all this time, and yet they've got the audacity to actually accuse uh, the Labor Party of reneging on promises, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hello? I mean, it just shows you, it shows you that, you know, politics in this 
country and, and in this state as well. It's just a political football game um, for for political career types, people that have uh, gone into politics and chosen that as their profession, probably without much uh, else in the in the way of life experience outside that. And the end result of that, of course, is that vulnerable communities, and um, we can definitely say this after 2023, Jewel, Aboriginal communities um, uh, are the ones that get caught in the middle of, of that. Yes, I mean, it is... It's, um, uh, I mean, I've... I have um, since the um, since the outcome of the referendum, Daniel. I've been um, um, I don't know licking my wounds, I suppose, or mm. trying to make myself better. Yep, for sure. Um, because it was a kick in the um, it was a kick in the um, guts. Um, but you know what? What did I expect? I mean, um, at, at the at the Commonwealth level, the coalition um, they were never going to let us have a voice um so and they played dirty politics i mean why is aboriginal affairs a political football it's i think i think because it's the thin end of the wedge for um all the culture warriors out there and it's and it's something that um uh culture warriors on the right in particular use as a way to Get into a whole bunch of other issues that they they have pet peeves about. We saw it with uh, with with Tony Abbott, who you know not only came out strongly against the voice, he came out against the concept of intergenerational trauma. He came out the concept against the concept of um, uh, gay marriage. He came out came out against um, uh, trans right issues as well. So I think that um, a lot of the 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 attacks from politicians on the right were basically a ticker box exercise seeking validation for their views and using the referendum um, and the result as a as a a mechanism to pursue those views further and 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 of course those of us uh, uh Aboriginal people in this country have to live with that outcome because it's given the green light to so many racists and bigots and sexists across the country, and that's where we are in twenty twenty four yeah, and it's, um, you know, <clears throat> Daniel, our, as you would know, by the way, our communities are really hurt. Yeah. 20, the, the outcome of that referendum um, and, <clears throat> you know, leading up to the 26th of January, um, there, we already had a lot of trauma in our communities, um, but... It, it's a. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to deal with it. Uh, I'm just concerned, um, and you can see how it's been played out. You know, I don't condone vandalism, no. Daniel. Never have. Nor do I. Uh, um, but I understand. Um, you know, um, some of our mob who, whether it was our mob or whether it was non-Aboriginal people, I don't know. But, you know, um, the, the Captain Cook um, statues, um, you understand the frustration, the hurts, um, and, you know, and I just, I just think, where to now? Yeah, exactly. I mean, 0466981027 is the text line. 0466981027 is the text line. If you have anything that you'd like to uh, contribute to this, to the discussion. Um, one of the things that I found a little bit cathartic from the 
26th of uh, January sort of rigmarole, the, the tiresome rigmarole that happens every year, yes. is that there seemed to be a renewed energy and move away from having that as the national day, not only from among, not only amongst mob, but amongst Australians, both uh, in the commercial sector, government sector, uh, more broadly. I, I felt that this year, um, as opposed to other years, there seemed to be a little bit more energy about the place. Did you sense that at all? Oh, look, can I say I, I did, and that gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah. As as in, if there is. Um, change happening on this in this topic on this topic, um, change for the good. Um, I think that's a really positive step. Um, so you know, like um, uh, I forget where I was, but someone asked me the other week. You know, why do Aboriginal people want to abolish Australia Day? I said, well, we don't yeah. want to abolish Australia Day. We want to have Australia Day but on a day that everyone can help celebrate together. Yeah, and I think that's where the, the, the whole debate keeps butting its head up against a wall because at the moment there is no obvious alternative to it. And I think that's the problem. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe the day we become a referendum, if that ever happens, that could become the day. Um, but, you know, if we want to change um, Australia Day as it is with all its prejudices, then I would suggest that we move the date to October 14. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, yes. Um, there's a lot of potential dates out there, by the way. And, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there will always still be a public holiday uh, wherever Australia Day lands. Yeah, I mean, that's my major concern. If they take away the public holiday, I don't, I don't want a bar of it. Um, no, nah, they're not going to. They're not going to take away the public holiday. Getting back here to Victoria and um, uh, the, yeah. the coalition's position. I mean, as late as uh, I think it was twenty twenty two, I was in a forum um, with you in the lead up to the last state election. I was actually sitting next to uh, Peter Walsh, who affirmed his commitment to treaty um, in that forum to a room full of uh, black fellows who were engaged in um, a political discussion about um, what was upcoming with the next election. He reaffirmed that to the First People's Assembly of Victoria. I think in the second iteration of that assembly, he affirmed that in in the parliament. What it means, and it's a typical sort of political thing that we have to put up with, but what that means is that when it comes to dealing with uh, Peter Walsh or John Pesciuto, First Nations people, mob, can't really take what they say as truthful. They can't take what they say as having any integrity. And that's a real problem with us as we're trying to negotiate a treaty with a state, not with a political party, but with a state. Um, It's going to be a a, a big issue, a big trust issue for for mob moving forward dealing with these um, characters. Exactly. I mean, I was in a meeting with um, the current Minister for Health in in, in, in Victoria, Mary Ann Thomas. Yep. And um, uh, I was in a meeting about other stuff, and she um, she said to me uh, up front, she said, "Jill, before we begin the meeting, I just need to assure you that um, this government, this current government here in Victoria, is fully committed." 
um, to, um, um, you know, following through with what we started back in 2017. Um, so that gave me some assurance, but I said to the minister, well, you know, can you, can you uh, assure me that um, um, the Labor government's going to be in then all this time yeah. <laughs> for the next 10, 15 years? I mean, that's the, uh, that's the tragic yeah. thing about it. it. It forces people that are, are involved in the treaty process and those who are passionate about the treaty process to yeah. start to sound... Um, partisan to to having to having to take a, a role in partisan politics, because the 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 black and white of it now is is that if you want a treaty, then you have to vote for a progressive party for that to happen. Because if you vote for a liberal or nationals, it won't happen. And I know a lot of mob, and you would know a lot of mob too, Jill, that aren't comfortable in taking a partisan partisan position on these sorts of things. Exactly, you, you've hit yeah, exactly right. You know, I mean. Um, it, it's that's where we're at, and it's a shame that um, they and you mentioned the word before. You know, integrity means a great deal to a lot of people. Uh, integrity and honesty, and from what I've seen from Peter Walsh and um, um, how do you pronounce John's second name? Pesudo. Pesudo, yeah. Yeah, um, um, they've got none. Um, you know, um, exactly. I mean, we've had their support all along, and then they say, sorry, but we've just withdrawn it. And I really don't understand the reason that they've given publicly why they've withdrawn support. Um, what a lot of crap. Well, one of, one of the reasons that Peter Walsh espoused as a, a reason for, for walking away from it, um, apart from the real reason, which is, of course, political opportunism, was um, he mentioned the traditional owner settlement act as a as a reason for for withdrawing support? What is the traditional owner settlement act in in you know, layman's terms, and and how much bearing does that have on the treaty process? The traditional owner settlement act was uh, developed here in Victoria in lieu of the Native Title Act because um, uh, Native Title Act uh, the Commonwealth uh, legislation doesn't really do a lot for Aboriginal people in Victoria, for Aboriginal communities. So the Traditional Owner Settlement Act was established, and what that does um, is it actually um, recognises groups of Aboriginal people, clans, mobs, tribes, however you want to call it, um, as the right people for that country, the traditional owners of that country. Um, And what comes along with that, Daniel, is a... Uh, a fair bit of responsibility under the Heritage Act. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when if there's big developing development happening, you know, governments and uh, corporate entities have to worry about the flora and the fauna and um, any endangered species and all that sort of stuff before they can start developing an area. But they also have to worry about Aboriginal heritage values. So the TOs that are recognised under that piece of legislation, um, um, they go in wherever that development is happening um, and either clear the site and say, look, it's all good to go ahead from our point of view or we need to do something with this piece or this site or whatever the case may be. And it's my understanding that they're saying that is time-consuming mm-hmm. and delays, delays progress. That's not true. 
some of it can be time-consuming, um, but just because it's time-consuming, I mean, they also have to do flora, fauna, endangered species and a whole range of other environmental um, things that they have to do to develop an area. Ours is no different. So it would seem to me if they want to fix that process, if it is time-consuming here and there, yeah. then there is a distinct piece of legislation that can be addressed and the parliament can work yeah. through that too change the frameworks, change the, uh, the power structures and also change the funding models to support that process. That process, that act, has nothing to do with the treaty process. No, nothing. Nothing whatsoever. There's a separate piece of treaty legislation, as we know, um, um, and so that sets out, like, you know, where we go and we've been going down that road since 2017 or 2018 when the, uh, uh, the Act was introduced into Parliament, um, the Treaty Act, that is. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's separate. Totally separate and it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting that we have to talk about it. It's exhausting that we have to, you know, advocate on these matters when all we're really doing is, is addressing a bit of political fluff and nonsense and yet we have to take it very seriously because at the heart of this is treaty. Exactly right. And treaty, as far as I can see, it, is, it should be treated like it's a human right. Yeah. Uh, for First Peoples. Um, you know, you can't change the past um, and you can't... You can't um, what's the word? What I'm trying to think of is that, you know... Uh, it's a fact that um, uh, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been on this continent for thousands and thousands of generations, yep. um, as opposed to 250 years. Uh, so you can't change that fact. You know, uh, uh, some judge in um, Britain, in London, de- uh, declared Australia terra nullius, um, and of course the Native Title Act overturned that. The Mabo. It is 26 to 8. You're listening to The Mission. My name is Daniel. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, Jill Gallagher, who is the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, but her experience expands, uh, expands far beyond that. And we're talking about the, the Coalition's uh, backflip on providing bipartisan support, support to the treaty process here in Victoria. Um, one thing I wanted to um, speak to you about, Jill, because I know it's an issue that you're very passionate about. As I was prepping for um, this evening's show, I, I, I discovered that it's a year to the day that the coroner handed down uh, her findings into the death of Yorta Yorta woman, uh, Veronica Nelson. Um, uh, let's mention some ministers by name. So this, it's 12 months since that's been handed down. Um, Enver Adogan is the Minister for Corrections. And the Attorney General is uh, Jacqueline Symes. Um, apart from bail reform laws, which have gone through the Parliament, uh, what have we seen from the Government and the Department of Justice and Community and Safety in relation to the findings from that inquest? That's a very good question, Daniel, um, and, and really not a lot. Um, um, when the coroner handed down his report and the findings, which were, uh, oh, what's the word, um, um, devastating yes. what happened to Veronica, so we can never forget the human rights that were de- uh, denied there um, uh, to a young Aboriginal woman who her only crime is being poor. 
Anyways, um, so yes, we've seen bail reform, but there's a lot more that needs to be reformed, and that's health services in the prisons. Um, and whilst the coroner was um, um, developing his report, I was also involved in um, a state government's um, funded uh, a review of corrections. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was on an independent panel uh, to look at uh, a review, and so we just about visited every prison in Victoria, um, and our findings were released in December. December. Oh, what you got to think? Twelve months ago. Right. Okay. Yep. Which which, held, which has a lot of recommendations. In and, and Veronica Nelson's case helped feed, help us come up with some recommendations yeah, so, that come out of the coroner's so findings. So that, that process you undertook was kind of parallel to, to the coroner's um, yes. coronial inquest, yes. yeah. Yes, and so I've had a couple of meetings with the minister to find out, well, what are we doing to implement the recommendations? I mean, it seems to be, it seems to be a really strange... Strange thing that governments, all governments do this, by the way, nationally and, and local, state, um, but they spend all this money on doing parliamentary inquiries or royal commissions or reviews, whatever the case may be, um, uh, and we come up with some amazing recommendations, but then it just stops. It, it's, it's something that happens time and time again, and if you want to know... The, the, the real truth, the forensic truth of some of the issues that are confronting our mob, uh, look at coroner's reports because the, 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 the coronial inquests do these things without fear or political favour to anyone. They get to the heart of the issue and the reports basically confirm things that uh, you, Jill, and I, and um, I don't put myself in the category of leader, but other Aboriginal leaders across uh, the state in Australia, it confirms what we continually bang bang on about in terms of the issues that are affecting our people. And those coronial inquests seem to go nowhere. And then we have parliamentary inquests that go less than nowhere. I mean, the, the Department of Justice and uh, the Victorian government has committed as part of the uh, uh, Aboriginal Justice Forum um, plan to provide culturally appropriate holistic health care in prisons, uh, culturally safe custodial health care, over the last 12 months, how, how much have, have you seen of that being progressed, Jill? No, no um, um, uh, I haven't seen anything being progressed, Daniel. One of our recommendations was, because I think Victoria is the only state in this country, Daniel, that has private health providers yes, to provide true. health in prisons, right? All other jurisdictions, they, they use a public health model. Uh, and not privatisation. That's one of the biggest dilemmas because I mean I'm not trying to disrespect any corporations or anything, but when you when you're driven by the almighty um, bottom line because um, they want to make money on this, no no business is going to take a contract from government and know that they're not going to make money. So they're going to um... anyway. So one of our recommendations, Daniel, was that there be a public health model here in Victoria implemented in the correction systems. 
Right. Yeah. Move away so from from private. Mean? Remove remove away from private uh, companies. Private, who, who you exactly said, right. Uh, are profiteering from this because that's their yes. business model. Uh, we see it in aged care, of course, as well. We see it yes. in childcare. We see it in employment services where uh, the the motivation is to to make money and um, services often um, you know suffer as a result of that. And so you've you've strongly advocated to move away from private companies providing healthcare where healthcare within prison settings um, because as we saw with the Veronica Nelson case, the, the healthcare that she received was basically non existent. Exactly. Um, and even though they had um, a GP that was employed by this private company and I think the coroner had some very strong recommendations as to what should happen there now? Did that happen? Well, it's a question that needs exactly. to be asked, you know, and I think it's something that uh, this program and other outlets that um, I mm. write for and present to, et cetera, et cetera, will keep a, keep a close look on this because, a close eye on this because uh, the Veronica Nelson family and other families of uh, people who have died in custody uh, need answers to this and, and the pressure must be kept on uh, the government, the Department of uh, Justice and Community Safety, uh, the Corrections Minister in Dogan, and of course the Attorney General Jacqueline Symes, because a big song and dance is made about this. A lot of head nodding goes on, but at the end of the day, we need to see action so these things don't continue to happen. And there's nothing in and around this, apart from the bail reforms, that would prevent. Instances like uh, only Tanya Day's or Veronica Nelson's tragic deaths happening again. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the bail reform um, uh, was a no-brainer, really. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I mean, why would you punish someone who's got suspected of shoplifting the same way someone who has committed multiple murders or something so you know the punishment didn't fit the crime exactly um i should mention i should mention that um uh the government has worked towards public drunkenness laws as well which is is welcome as well seeing it as a health issue and not a criminal issue um but there's still so many other variables that um, need to be addressed to to make sure that our people stop dying in 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 custody um sorry go on I was going to say, Daniel, on that, there needs to be a mechanism, because there's no mechanism now. That report that I spoke to you about, that I was involved in reviewing uh, corrections right across Victoria, um, that report holds many great recommendations, uh, but who's ensuring that they will implement those recommendations? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think nationally... No one. I think nationally it's the Aboriginal Justice Forum, but how much heed that forum is paid to by the department and by the by the government is a you know a question that needs to be asked as well. I know a lot of people in the Aboriginal Justice Forum get very frustrated with uh, with with the government and the department. But um, look, I can promise you, Jill, it's an issue. No accountability. Yeah, and yeah. it needs to be. I mean, we see it all the time in Aboriginal affairs. The reason that uh, the Black Deaths and Custody Royal Commission report wasn't implemented in full was because there was no one central body answerable or held accountable for actually implementing those recommendations. And that's as a result. We have dozens and dozons of recommendations. Exactly. Yeah, voice would have helped with that. 
the, bell, the voice would have said, well, okay, we, we know, we've got the roadmap here, we've got the recommendations. Now let's see how we implement them. Before I let you go, Jill, um, more broadly in, in Indigenous health for, for Victoria and I guess across the country because, you know, you're, you're well connected with um, your peer health services and um, uh, organisations across the country. What, what are some of the pressing issues for 2024 that uh, Vacho would like to um, address? I think one of the, uh, some of the pressing issues is, is uh, emotion and spiritual well-being of our communities. Mm-hmm. We know Daniel, again, coming back to the coroner's reports, um, the coroner's uh, has uh, released, um, I can't remember the exact figures, so I won't quote, but um, the increase of suicides in the Victorian Aboriginal community um, is, is climbing and climbing. Right. Um, so we need to start addressing that. And look at how do we, you know, how do we, it's, it's, it's a tough one, mm. um, but how do we address that? We can't have those appalling numbers of suicides in the Victorian Aboriginal community. We have the highest rates in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that's on our agenda. The other thing is hoping to get some of our budget bids up around infrastructure for our services who can provide good services from... Um, you know, like Dandenong Aboriginal um, um, Health Service. They've been around, what, 25, 30 years? Might be even more, by the way, and they're going to get crusty with me if I've quoted that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, their building is falling down. Their GPs are saying, this is not safe. This is our H&S issues. Yeah, right. Um, so we've put up a proposal through our, uh, our processes to state government for some budget bids. Um, to help them, and Dandenong's a priority. So um, infrastructure's a priority and workforce. Okay, well, it never stops, Jill. 2023 was uh, one hell of a year, and uh, 2024 is going to be a challenging year also. Thankfully, it's not an election year here in Australia because otherwise we'd have to put up with more of the the toxic debate that seems to accompany um, political discourse in this country. But, Jill, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, everything that you've done and everything you continue to do. And um, I'll get that T-shirt to you as soon as possible. That's amazing, Daniel, and thank (laughs) you for having me on. You take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>